Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. From struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. And for our new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy. This week's guest is the wonderful Paige Rabatin, which I always do this, but that is the correct pronunciation of your last name, right, Paige? Okay. Yes, you're correct. Very good. few people are, and you got it. <laughs> oh, good. Paige is an associate at Corman, Jackson & Krantz, which is a law practice. Paige, welcome to the show. To start, I would love for you to give the audience a little bit of background on yourself and what you do and why you're on the Metal Woman podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Um... So like you said, I'm an attorney. I've been practicing uh, in Cleveland for a little over four years now. And that's how long, kind of the entirety of it, I've been in kind of the esports and tech and innovation fields. Um, so I was lucky enough that the partner I primarily work with that heads our esports and gaming practice group, uh, he's been in it for around 10 years. And so kind of brought me under his wing from the very beginning. And I just enjoyed it. It took off and we've been ranging from representing individual players, teams, doing contract negotiations, representing just kind of companies in general that are in the industry or real estate projects that are related. And actually from there, um, one of the other reasons why I came on is because of those real estate projects. The partner and I started our own separate business called Clee Sports because we had a lot of questions of people saying, can you just consult with me? I don't, I don't need you to be my attorney right now, but can you tell me what's going on? Um, so we've been doing that for uh, about a year and a half now as well, which is great. Yeah, I'm really excited actually to jump into some of these real estate projects. Um, I, as someone who hosts a podcast kind of on the metaverse and future tech and stuff, I actually don't get a lot of people talking about how real estate fits into that. Um, and you have a lot of really interesting developing projects that you've worked on. So I would love to hear from you about all these development projects. I know you have one in Elyria, Ohio, one in Cedar Point, and a, a big facility that you've been partnering with slash consulting on slash working on down in Miami, Florida. Um, and I would love for you to talk about these three projects separately together, however you'd like, but tell me who you're trying to reach, how these facilities help reach that audience, and kind of why you wanted to be involved in, in the real estate side of this business. Yeah, of course. I will start with the Elyria, Ohio project. And for those that don't know, it's um, not quite, but kind of a suburb of Cleveland, about 30 minutes uh, east or west of downtown. And so it's a nice community-based area. And so that project is going to be called Forge 417. And it's, um, it's super exciting because it's actually stemming from a renovation of a historical building. And so, so along with incorporating, obviously, the tech, the gaming, broadcast, everything like that, we are keeping the historical aspects. And actually, the building, one side of it is sticking to the 1920s because that was kind of when it was renovated. And then the other side, the other half of the building is actually transforming to go into kind of like the mid-mod 1950s, 60s era to stick with the historical elements. You kind of see it uh, transform throughout. Uh, so that's really exciting. And I think that project is one I would call the most like, community-based because gotcha. um, there's been a lot of interaction. The owner of the project, actually, he's originally from that city. He 
loves it, kind of wants to leave his mark, do very positive things on how this full renovation. Um, and there's going to be uh, around, I think, 175 seat arena in there. So hold kind of like some smaller community based um, events. Um, have a gaming hub, all kind of broadcast recording areas, things like that, food and beverage components. And so the whole focus on that is not only having the entertainment version of gaming, but also have the separate education and workforce development side that we can bring in during the game, kind of the like midweek, midday lull that um, a lot of these facilities, I think, don't have a lot of customers at that point, we can kind of bring in the community and the facility around it to be involved or have different things that can take part in it. And then, so I guess then I'll move on to the Cedar Point project, which... Yeah, uh, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. It's uh, huge. It's, <laughs> you know, you're getting in the like 60,000 plus square foot range uh, and it's attached to what's currently um, Cedar Point's sports complex. Uh, and right next to that is also Cedar Point, like Sports Force Park. So you have the indoor and outside, outdoor um, sports facilities. And our building is actually going to connect and be attached to the indoor sports facility. So you already have that crossover of people who are there for, let's say, uh, tournaments, uh, different events like that, that have downtime, um, that obviously now will have the ability to come over and game and be a part of that. And one of the most exciting parts as well is it's around three miles from uh, Cedar Point Amusement Park, which is in. Uh, Sandusky, yeah. Ohio, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, and so that has millions of visitors a year. And so Cedar Point is so great because it's more of the focused on uh, you can have larger events with a 1500 seat arena. You have the people who are there that want the entertainment, want the vacation, want something that they're already visiting for. It's outside of their their norm. Um, and so that's an exciting part of kind of what we're we're doing there with that one. Um, yeah. So Just to interject, I believe Cedar Point has the largest selection of roller coasters in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, it's roller huge. coaster capital of the world. USA, I, I, one I didn't, Yeah, I was going to say, I wasn't sure if I could jump to the international side. Um, but, yeah, it's huge. It's actually there. The last time I was there was 2017 for the solar eclipse. That is a very memorable weekend to be at Cedar Point. Also, That's when cool. you go as an adult after several concussions, it's not nearly as fun. So <laughs> the, the land center might be my speed these days <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that's kind of the other cool thing about this too because you have families visiting or people visiting of like you're saying not everyone wants to ride that top thrill dragster or something like that or sometimes people maybe want to be in air conditioning in the 90 degree summer weather things yeah. like that where they have that second option now but i agree i was just there this summer actually my uh, part of my bachelorette party uh, a group of our my friends and i went there so i was like i want to ride roller coasters and i want to ride real adult roller coasters and they were like, i was like and i live 45 minutes from this place so let's go <laughs> that's so fun actually one of the highlights of that day was going to texas roadhouse afterwards because you go and it was july it was 90 degrees it was hot i think all i ate all day was fried oreos and some water and just absolutely pounded some texas roadhouse afterwards that's what i like but to yes, hear cedar point i to bring it back to the esports and gaming and you know, real estate part of this. Definitely a destination place for a lot of people, particularly in, in middle America, I think. Um, and I definitely think that particularly in the summers that having an air conditioned option, also just bringing in gaming to amusement parks in general is, is really fun and kind of, I think it's very future thinking to me. Exactly. It shows that, so Cedar Fair is the parent company because they have multiple parks in addition to Cedar Point. It shows, you're right, how forward-thinking they are and the fact that they want to stay up-to-date on the forms of entertainment that people want and are seeking. 
Um, so I think it's really exciting to pair those together and the level of events that could be had back and forth. Yes. And then tell me about this project in Miami, because this is this is a big boy. Yeah, that's the the nice one that this winter I've gotten to travel down to be like, oh, I need to go down to Miami for something now. Like, what a shame. It's 90 degrees down there. <laughs> so I just took a sip of water there. But um Miami, it's part of what's going to be called Destination Sport Miami, which is going to be an 800,000 square foot sports complex. And when I first heard those numbers, I could not even picture or fathom how big that building is. <laughs> I know I've probably seen buildings been around that big, but just like thinking about it being constructed and seeing the plot of land that's going on is crazy. Um, but it's going to be, like I said, it has multiple like football arenas, Olympic sized swimming pools. It has Baseball, every soccer, every sport you could possibly think of. And there are actually um, professionals who are taking over coaching or being in charge of the sports programs within the facility. Like we have Randy Moss, uh, NFL Hall of Famer, is heading the football program there. Jill Ellis, um, women's national soccer team coach um, from a few years back, heading soccer program. So it's nice because you have the elite and you have the people who are wanting to come in and learn and practice. And so we're dropping uh, around a 30,000 square foot esports facility in the middle of this building um, that can be both kind of like a, a training and academy, things like that, and be more competition based and focused. And so it's nice how we're going to pair that in and kind of have the full event spectrum of your child wants to come and do um, a weekend football camp with Randy and everyone there and learn everything. Well, guess what? They're going to have downtime or they're going to want to do other things. And uh, esports can be come in and fill that role. Great. Or you have other children to also take and entertain who are not as interested in athletics. I wanted to ask about the relationship you built there because I still feel as if it's sort of rare for community-based projects and developments, particularly when they center around sports to include an esports component so was that something that you went out and proposed or were the people who are building destination sport actually sort of actively thinking about, you know, what kids want, what they're doing? How did that relationship come about? Uh, I would say it was probably a good, healthy mix. They knew that they wanted something to set themselves apart. When we talked to the ownership group, um, people that are involved in saying, we want that hook, we want something special. Mm -hmm. um, and what can you do to be to be different and not have just the standard, okay, cool, here's a, another field over here. I've seen that before. Or, oh, some, some new workout equipment. That's great. <laughs> um, and so we were able to fill that role and talk to them about, here's something that you're going to have that, that cross section of the community in general who they will enjoy working out. They'll enjoy being there for camps. They enjoy sports. And guess what? A lot of people are gamers that people don't realize. Um, I Obviously, everyone listening here, I have to assume, realizes that. But a lot of people in general, I think, don't get it and still do the cliche picture someone in their basement playing type thing. Um, and so talking to them, and it was nice because it's a group of people who are very forward thinking and want to give the community um, the, the best options possible. And so they were very on board from the beginning with us. How are you working to actually monetize these spaces? And I ask that because we have seen more recently a big, a big play in opening and creating these types of spaces. There hasn't really been a dominant strategy for making them last. And in fact, I feel as if there's been several places that have maybe not had a lot of success in lasting and keep staying profitable and doing all of that. So I'm, I guess I'm wondering also more so about, are you, are you looking for community-based investment? Are you working on 
some type of revenue model? Like how are you making this a sustainable play? Real estate's tough, right? And I, yeah, I'm just curious at how you're making this a sustainable model over the long term. No, agreed. And that's a great point. And kind of one of the, the, the key factors when we're talking to potential investors or owners or things like that, because you don't really have that set model yet of mm-hmm. a, a bigger, larger facility or somewhere that's solely dedicated that we can say, look at the success they had there. Look, it's skyrocketing. They're having a great time. Like we have to be able to sell the new model and the plan itself um, and not just we're going to build this. Here's what it's going to offer. But let's assist with the programming and how we're going to diversify that as a whole. And that's kind of where Clee Sports comes in and how we're helping to consult and build full operating plans and link those to a pro forma to see here's how big we should make the hub because here's how much we think you can make hourly. And it's more worth it to have the hub than to have more VR, things like that, where you kind of look at a whole community and see what we think they're going to be involved or what they're going to want to do. And with that, we kind of realized that flexibility is key in this because you're right. You have these facilities that have been built where it's cool. You can fit a 20,000 person event. How often are you hosting those or what are you doing with that space? when you're not hosting those. Um, and so with that, we have, like I was saying before, we have the STEM education, the um, types of events that are happening during the midday that um, like you can have schools come in, you can have education with the broad level of broadcast equipment, recording equipment, things like that. There's also the ability for people to come in and use the studio space um, and kind of keep that tie in as well. Food and beverage is a, a huge thing. Um, you don't want to have something where someone's there for two hours and says, well, I'm hungry. Like I'm done here. That now. would be like, me. I'd be so grumpy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. the one who remembers the Texas roadhouse from Cedar Point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the highlight for some people. <laughs> um, and I would be one of them too. So don't feel bad. <laughs> I'm um, glad we have that in common. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so you, you want that, you want to have that flexibility. You want to have the programming done. I mean, it even brings in a, the amount of tech and innovation that you can cross over with them. You now have programs that you can put on your computer that they can be mining crypto at certain, at, during the day, whenever they're not in use, things like that. Of It's about having that, not never seeing one use out of a space, I guess is the way that I would summarize it. And we've done, at least in my opinion, I think a pretty good job of that and having it, it um, narrowed down to what we want to do in these spaces. So when you're making these decisions and these determinations, are you working with local governments? Are you working with local schools? Like, how are you getting out into the community to say, hey, this one doesn't need VR. It it should have more, I don't know, uh, console stations or whatever it may be. I know you mentioned that that's kind of part of the process, but how are you actually learning on the ground what that particular community is looking for? Yeah, we, um, it's truly is a kind of a boots on the ground, like going and physically talking to people, or I guess over zoom, that's the honest, there's a lot of zoom. (laughs) (laughs) That's what boots on the ground means these days anyway. (laughs) Exactly. Um, we've been lucky enough with, um, speaking of Elyria specifically, like we've had meetings with the mayor, with the local town council. We have local, um, schools ranging from college level, clear down to elementary, junior high that are saying this facility is coming in. Um, what, how can we cross over? How can we use it? Uh, how do we want to make sure it's not just your school's computer lab? It's something that will be innovation and worth it, innovation, innovative and worth it for everyone in that area. And so letting people know that we actually do 
take their concerns or their goals and into our thought process, Mm -hmm. I think has been very helpful because then they see the benefit for the community itself. Um, Speaking of which we have workforce development or job training during the days, you're also seeing not only are we now creating jobs in your community, but we have the ability to help train people for other jobs in general. And a lot of areas don't have a dedicated space like that, that with the companies and partners we've uh, started working with, they have full VR and AR capabilities for workforce training. And they now are saying, cool, can we come in and use your, your bays that you're going to have, the hubs that you have for this? Because that can cut our training time in half if we can have people be almost fully immersed. Very cool. What kind of feedback have you been getting so far from, from communities and from folks that are actually using the centers? Um, we've had very positive feedback, which has been great because like you said, this is kind of the, the cutting edge for a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that there's a healthy dose of skepticism at times of the people that sit there and go, what are esports? I'm sorry. What? Like, and <laughs> that obviously, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, Oh, I didn't know that you could do this. Or I tell them I've had stories where I'm talking to sometimes people in my own firm or stuff like that, where I'm saying, Oh, I just, helped to negotiate this contract for a 15 year old who's a professional player and going to be out kicking butt. And they were just like, I'm sorry, you can make money. And I'm just like, what, what job do you think I'm doing? If there's no, if there's no money or professionalism, there's a whole this. esports branch of this firm just for fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so That's the fact funny. that yeah, we focus on esports and then obviously like, um, gaming in general. So there's, it's not just for the pros. Like it's not for that few percent of people who make it huge, like this is going to be welcoming to the community in general for any level of gaming. And so there's been a lot of excitement about that of, hey, this you may have tech or resources that we would never get or have in our own home that now we can try out and come and utilize. Yeah, we'd love to dig a little deeper on that because one of you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast is bringing in people who aren't typically served by the gaming industry. And you know, you have a play where you're building community centers that are uh, supposed to reach everyone within the community. Are you finding that you have to do anything extra to maybe get particularly maybe young women or other underrepresented minorities interested in the space? Or is this more so a build it and everyone will come kind of project so far? I guess it, I guess it depends on which project, but what, how are you thinking about being as inclusive as possible or reaching the people who may not have been reached previously, I guess? Exactly. That's, um, I would love to rely on if you build it, they will come. Uh, wouldn't we all? If, if this could be <laughs> my field of dreams, I would be asking. Yeah. <laughs> so host of a podcast, I truly wish that everyone would come. <laughs> exactly. Um, and there are certain spaces, you're right, it varies. Like Cedar Point, you have plopped it down in the middle of a, a great strategic area where there is there are people coming and going. There are people that want to come and have entertainment in that specific space. And so it's a little bit easier there. Obviously we still have the full range of what we want to, what programming we want to have, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more built in, but then you have areas, um, like Illyria, like it's more of a suburb. Um, and so we want the community involved and that's how we were saying like more of the, the boots on the ground approach of we're going and talking to these schools and educators. And so kids and students are now growing up with this being a part of their life in general. So it doesn't seem abnormal. It doesn't seem like something they just consider wanting to try once or twice, um, or that like is scary to them because they're not good at gaming yet. 
we have that invite and we have that programming that people who either aren't involved or are um, a little bit hesitant can come and try it out. And then mixed with that, um, you're right, there are several um, communities and long lines that seem underrepresented in gaming. And I think having events and tournaments and things like that that are even tailored to specific groups of everyone's welcome, but this is uh, tailored towards either the women in gaming or things like that. And just kind of show the representation and appreciation because um, like, I think people would be mind blown when they hear that 45% of gamers in 2021 were women. And you sit there and people are just yeah. like, what? <laughs> oh, women do this? <laughs> I've had, um, oh, I've, I've had literally someone come up and ask me before. So what games do women play? That'd be like, um, all of awesome. them. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, you get a lot of funny questions, you know? Oh, kids can make money on esports. <laughs> Women exactly. can play them. And that's, I mean, I, that is a little, I guess, um, funny to me, but I, I will say, I think, I think we've come a long way in, in the year 2022. There's a long way to still go. So if you are someone who is just answering these questions, please do not feel bad. Just know that there are people out there who are working in this industry and are excited to bring you into it. <laughs> exactly. And that it's, it's moving and there's, it's big and there's something there. You're right. It's the, if you didn't know it, it's no shame in it, but um, obviously now you do and you have a reason to get involved and try it out because obviously a large amount of people find it really interesting. Right. So you mentioned pro tournaments and, and kind of events and using these spaces for a mix. And I know that you've already mentioned being highly flexible in the approach that you take to these spaces, but do you have a, I don't want to call it a magic formula, but a kind of a baseline for how you decide how many, you know, strictly events you kind of hold versus having free flowing open play areas, how you balance that? I mean, this is kind of a question for all the folks out there who are looking to maybe uh, open a space or thinking about a space in their community, how much do you have to plan versus how much is it, you know, here's an open land center, have your kid come by and play. Um, and how do you think about that balance? Um, yeah, we definitely have to work that out. And so kind of what I was talking before about the, the pro forma, we dig into the community itself because, um, like similar here, if, you are building in a city that already has several concert venues that can fit uh, 500 to 2,000 people. Maybe we don't need a huge, our facility doesn't need to focus on that and have these huge events because, um, in addition to obviously esports tournaments um, or like esports full festivals and things like that, you have to think these spaces are also available for concerts, um, live podcasts, things like that that we can um, always bring in. And so we're looking at kind of what the community is drawn to, what is already being given to the community and kind of what's more so needed. Um, and so that helps us to build this out and decide, okay, well, we can make this area a little bit bigger and this one a little bit smaller. Let's shift around here. I think that's actually really smart because I do think that with the analogous nature of esports and pro sports, I think that there's a tendency to everything has to look like pro sports. And so we have to have events and competitions and things like that to get the community interested and involved. But I would, I would actually think that a lot more open play would be kind of the more attractive thing. Cause you can, you can, like you said, you can hold events in a variety of venues, but what you can't do is go after school and play something in a variety of places or in those large arenas. Exactly. You, um, I would agree. I think a lot of it is based upon the people that you're right. Want to come in and use the gaming hub or a VR Bay or have 
their own, they, they want it to be their entertainment and entertainment isn't always, I'm watching someone else who's really good at this. Right. Um, that's exciting and it's a big part of it, but a lot of people want to get better. They want to use the most up-to-date tech that maybe they don't have in their house. They want to see their scores projected um, to see, oh, I'm, you're the top person that has been here today or the top one of our users this year, things like that, that they can themselves feel a part of. And ha- I mean, it's having the beer league, not watching the, 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 you're right, the professional sport every single time. Yeah, that's a really fun way of thinking about it. As we talk more about kind of future tech and where gaming's going, and, you know, we've had this pandemic this whole year where we've all been inside so much. How are you thinking about how real estate is going to play in to gaming and into the, the idea of the metaverse? And, you know, we have all these, these fun terms um, surrounding that and building virtual worlds and all of that. How are you thinking about real estate and kind of physical world presence um, and how that plays into what we're going to see in the next five to 10 years in the development of tech? Yeah, I think it's a huge thing to consider and kind of figure out where you lie in that. Because you're right, you bring up the metaverse, which is kind of what they're trying to bridge the gap between real life and virtual life and what's mm-hmm. going to happen there. What's the interplay? And not only will we have the the tech for you to take part in that if you want, but Um, you kind of can be immersed in people who are like-minded and like similar things to you, or it can have good discussions or, um, interactions with by being here and being in a place of people like that want to take part in gaming or esports or actually care to learn what the metaverse is, (laughs) which I've tried really hard and I think I know, but at the same time, I feel like it's constantly changing. It's okay. I mean, I host the meta woman podcast and we Mm -hmm. talk about the metaverse every week on here and every week I think, huh. I don't know if I get it more or less. <laughs> exactly. I just have new questions. <laughs> right. Which I, I think that part of the thing that I actually like about doing this, and this is a broad blanket message, but I think it's important to have those questions and to have the discussions about it because so many people out there are talking about it as if they're an authority and there, there isn't an expert in the metaverse yet. So it's like, well, what, what do we want? And I actually think that the idea of kind of social club built around gaming and tech is, is a really smart way of having real world experiences that still take into consideration what's going to happen in virtual worlds. Exactly. And I think people need to look at it just like any other things people do in their life, a normal habit or routine of, I can make dinner at home, but I want to go out with my friends and get a good meal. Um, so I feel like this is, can be very analogous to that. <laughs> That's a very fun way of putting it. <laughs> you don't want to just put on your Oculus. You want to <laughs> go hang out with a bunch of other people. <laughs> The only thing that's missing when I go to this place is my dogs aren't there. (laughs) (laughs) A very good point. (laughs) And maybe they could be, maybe that's another way I bring in dog lovers who, (laughs) right. Maybe we just put Oculus's on dogs and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) See what they want to go after. Right. Like there was actually a story not terribly long ago about, um, Oculus's on cows. I don't know if you saw that. It was something about keeping them calmer, I believe. Oh, didn't they produce more milk because they were in like a super happy field or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yep. That's exactly what The hills were alive with the sound of music. And so they were producing more. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the future we can all, maybe that's the metaphors. Is that how I lower my heart rate when I'm like stressed out from work? I just (laughs) put it on like ocean breezes right now. Right. I think that's, that's probably Mm -hmm. a real thing. That's right around the corner. Um, I want to shift gears a bit here. It's one of the other initiatives I've seen you discuss are changes in sports betting laws and specifically legalizing sports betting licenses in Ohio. Um, We've seen movement and interest in those laws for esports organizations. 
But what excites you about having legal sports betting and how does it fit into the rest of what you're doing in the gaming industry? Yeah, I think um, sports betting is exciting because so here in Ohio, for example, just earlier this year, uh, the bill was passed to allow sports betting. And there was, I think, years worth of discussion leading up to it. And I think there's still um, some tweaks that are happening, but it's it's there. It's going to go into effect um, hopefully this year. And with that, you have you open up one, a new form of entertainment. And I think not saying it. This is the only way, but I think it can also legitimize esports because the Ohio bill specifically, um, I've done a lot of reading and it's, it's boring to get through, but I came to one section where I was like, you have talked about esports. You've talked about betting on gaming. Um, and essentially, I mean, it's understandable. You don't want to bet when people under the age of 18 are playing or things like that. Um, or there's the same question that there is with every single sport of, does this lead to cheating or people throwing or like things like that, um, that I understand are legitimate questions, but also it can happen in the basketball game that's going on right now too. So, um, I think it, it brings a new way for someone to sit here and be like, Oh, this is something real that I want to watch that I want to follow. And that I think I can guess or figure out the outcome or want to be kind of have my level of why it matters to me. Let me ask you kind of an opinion question on that, because I do think that we wind up comparing esports and traditional sports a lot. And I I think that there's a lot of for better or for worse about that. But do you think that incorporating sports betting into maybe professional play in esports is, I mean, I guess I sort of, my opinion on that is I sort of see it almost as a limiting factor um, in terms of, I think it's almost too analogous to pro sports. Um, I think that if you wanted to do sports betting, you can do sports betting. And of course that's part of esports betting, but is there other ways you see kind of betting happening in the gaming industry that might not be directly analogous to how it works in sports matches? Yeah, I think I, um, I've, I've seen, and I've had conversations with, I think even in general, um, taking away from sports betting, I mean, you have the apps, everyone's doing it anyway. Let's be honest, even before it was legal in Ohio, people were finding ways to do it. I not yeah. throw my fiance under the bus. He found ways to do it. Like, <laughs> um, but you, you already have the apps. You have the ability for people to come do it. And I think there would be a very large missed opportunity slash from conversations I've had of some of the larger um, casinos or people who are involved in sports betting, either like DraftKings, MGM, anyone like that, wanting to pair up in a certain way. You already have people that like gaming. You have people who like taking part, um, or want like, like the thrill, like seeing that they're earning something. Um, and I think that there's a transition of the casinos and people who are taking part in gambling and stuff like that. They just like every other entertainment source wants to make sure that the younger crowd, um, likes their product, likes what they're, what they have to sell, um, is interested in taking part. And so I think there's the other aspect of that same quasi sports betting gambling of I'm not saying go start your five-year-old to start betting and seeing if he can win MGM like hotel points right now constantly. (laughs) But um, obviously there's a a good way to, to tailor it, but to have people who um, can kind of take part in their own like real world betting of like, Oh, I'm the person doing this. I want to win something. Like it's not just on professional athletes now. Gotcha. Do you think that this has, and I sort of struggle to ask this question, but do you think that there is any kind of exciting things when it comes to the crossover between betting in the metaverse? 
I'm trying to think of maybe a new, like a new way to experience betting. And obviously that's hard to do because if we could all just create novel experiences, then we would probably all be millionaires. (laughs) But how is the ability to act in virtual worlds, do you think, going to affect maybe the types of bets we place or... You know, I, I wonder if they won't all be strictly competition based. I wonder, I don't know, just what do you think about how the intersection between esports betting and, and VR? Yeah, I think that there's going to be, you're right, a big intersection of we don't have to look at it in the same lens that it's been viewed for the past hundred plus years, however long people have been betting on things. Guaranteed longer than that, let's be honest. <laughs> um, Probably since so, the dawn of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was someone who said, yeah, I bet you can't do this. <laughs> um, exactly. And then Hold My Beer was invented right after. No, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I agree. I think there's going to be new ways and new forms of bringing it in and collaborating in there. And I think the aspect of I mean, like I said, there's sports betting apps. There's you're able to do it on your phone. Those are great. They bring it directly to you. However, you're right. Now that you're in the metaverse, you're in more virtual or whatever it is, you feel more engrossed in a part of it. And you can be in meta Las Vegas as opposed to real Las Vegas. And it feels closer to the real thing. Um, so I don't doubt if there you're right, are all kinds of different aspects that we're going to see pop up that people can take part of, part in. And they realize like, oh, this means more, it feels better because of the technology I'm consuming it through. Let me ask you another opinion question. Do you think that the kind of heavy and somewhat direct link between esports and between betting kind of sullies the industry at all? I've seen a lot of pushback from both regulators and from, you know, there's a lot of like concerned parents groups and things of that nature that are worried about that link. Mm-hmm. No, I come completely understand. I mean, it's one of those things of you're bringing a vice into uh, what people like to think of a pure form of entertainment. Um, I guess though, in most pure forms of entertainment, people aren't screaming at each other to like, across headsets, <laughs> angry. Um, but agreed. I mean, I think it has to be the, the aspect now of people need, can make their own decisions. And I understand parents or groups like that um, sitting and saying, well, no, my 14-year-old can't be making his own decisions in this. But at the same time, I think it it becomes personal to yourself or your unit or whoever you're watching or taking care of, of what do we want to allow in? What do we think is okay? Um, and it's obviously not my right to make that decision for everyone. Um, and so I think allowing the opportunity um, and seeing how things go, and obviously if there needs to be more laws or tailoring or tightening things down, because you're right, things can get sullied. It can get um, lines can get blurred that shouldn't be blurred or things like that. Um, and it's, we watch out and we readjust accordingly. Uh, I think that's kind of the way to take it right now because letting in sports betting or any sort of gambling in itself, at least to me, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily mean bad. It doesn't necessarily mean this is a negative. There's a downside. I understand that that possibility exists, but let's kind of see how it goes and, um, learn as the process comes about. Yeah, I think it's it's hard with all of these things to figure out how they're going to be received. But yeah, at the end of the day, you're right. If if adjustments need to be made, adjustments can be made. This isn't anything that's set in stone by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, how does betting and you know passage of Ohio laws and things of that nature, how does that play into your property development strategy? I'm definitely imagining a bar where people can play each other one v one, even in games and wager a bet, you know, throw $10 on a game of 
Call of Duty or whatever it is and go against each other. Um, are you thinking about ways of, I know we talked about food and beverage a little bit, but are you thinking about ways of incorporating uh, these kind of additional activities into gaming, I suppose? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially with it being passed in Ohio. Um, Ohio, not to bore you, but there's at this point three different types of licenses. There's the big, think of it as casino sports book location um, license. There's the license that specifically goes to like kiosks that people can come in and place their own bet in certain areas. Um, and then there's like the mobile platform licenses. Um, mm-hmm. And it, especially when you think about the kiosks and how you can kind of have them in their own separate area or be a part of it, like you said, have it in the bar area, have it um, separated or kind of be able to run things to where it's accessible to those who should be able to access uh, access it. Um, and so we have made sure of, um, so we started obviously design plans and things like that for several of these facilities before it was passed here. And now you, you sit and we work closely with um, actually architects at, um, in Cleveland here, there's a great firm called Osborne Engineering and they have a division called O-Sports that does specifically um, sports design and now esports design quite a bit of it. And we work with them cool. and we have that moment of things are getting passed. And we're like, all right, add this in. What can we get rid of? <laughs> Where can we put this? Where does the kiosk fit? <laughs> I need a new drawing. You can do that right now, right? Like, <laughs> um, and so that's, that's been great to, to talk about and kind of work in and see, you're right, how other people picture it and where they think that they would want to do it. Because I mean, I remember um, going out, not remember, I'm not old. I still go to bars, like <laughs> going to bars and they have, they have the little like uh, gaming machines on the, the counter themselves part of the time right. and friends mm-hmm. gathering around and be like, oh, you want to play this all together? Things like that. And people like to have that form of entertainment. Um, I want to end with a discussion on how you got to where you are in your career. Um, I know that we've obviously mentioned that you're a lawyer who works in esports, but what made you want to get involved in esports? Um, why did you choose this as a form of practice at your law firm? What kind of what motivated you? Yeah, um, yes, we can. I can go clear back to say obviously I, I grew up gaming. I have uh, an older brother who's three years older, a younger brother who's five years younger, and the amount of fights that have happened over being able to play on the console that we had in our house at the time, I wouldn't doubt if. Uh, our, we have several broken Sega controllers because that's what I started on growing up, <laughs> um, which actually I found a couple years ago and brought to my house and uh, spent some time playing and broke that's out some awesome. old games. Yeah. Um, but so, so grew up with that, had PlayStation. I, I did, you know, the same amount of, I mean, not the same amount. My older brother, let's be honest, he kicked my butt and everything. He was way better. He did it much more and he was well, bigger. He was so he got he more. Had, yeah. He had a couple of years on you. I'm the youngest. Oh. So yeah. I get it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so enjoyed it or it was just a, it was a good pastime. And I, um, won't lie and say as I got older or went to college or law school and, um, didn't really have my own, um, at where I was living. Like I, fell out, um, of doing it kind of daily or every day, but I still, it was a thing I would enjoy. Or you have Christmas where the family gets back together and everyone's still like, they want to go and start playing. Um, it helps too. That's so my fiance, huge gamer. I'm sitting beside the computer he built right here. That's top notch for when we want to bust things out. Um, and so when the opportunity was able to present itself of, I knew I've always been interested in sports. Um, I've, liked gaming, things like that. And when I was able to lucky enough to work at the firm that we already were catering to some of those clients and the goal was to continue doing so that I was able to, um, kind of get thrown in and, and learn quickly. Uh, okay, cool. I'm 
Um, I'm an an attorney and I understand that the base and underlying aspects of my job a lot of times are still, I have to be an attorney and I have to read this contract, but Mm -hmm. it helps a lot when I actually read through and I'm like, okay, well, I know what this is talking about. I know why we need to put this clause in here or why um, this should be involved. Things like that, that it helps when I like what I'm reading about um, and kind of like what I'm doing and like who I'm interacting with because you have these great minds, people who have great spirits and want to have fun. And it's not the old, old boys club of you have to do something a certain way. People are into doing new things and finding new possibilities. And so I've really enjoyed that aspect of my job and then kind of being able to transition over into more of the consulting and broaching that cross between I'm a professional, but also I get, and I like this industry and I want to help it build and succeed and keep growing. Very cool. Well, speaking of things that you're building and seeing and growing, what projects do you have coming up to that you're excited about or what things are you working on that you're just, that you want to brag about? Yeah. <laughs> hear about um, those. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, like I said, we've got the the three that we discussed earlier with um, Cedar Point, we have Illyria, we have Miami, and I'm lucky enough that um, and several of those projects, uh, I can't exactly announce where, but they are not going to be the only one of their kind. Um, we're going to branch out. There's going to be a, a pretty good cross section across the country. And I think I'm excited because there's a good focus on the Midwest itself. Um, and then my um, partner who I work with, we since we have our own separate business, we've also discussed and looked into um, starting our own and more so focused on entertainment itself tailoring it to mm-hmm. what what do we want to have it be almost completely casual and have that be super inviting. And so looking at some different areas there and kind of tailoring how we want to, we want to perfect it before we bring it forth. But like, mm-hmm. I'm excited to be able to work on that and work on our own projects and then also be helping people who really, really want to be able to break into this area as well. I think that's a very, very fun way to, to kind of end mm-hmm. this part of the discussion. I want to summarize really quick before we move into the last segment that I do on every show. So we talked about how part of your process in developing these kind of community oriented centers is going and talking to schools and educators, as well as governments, as well as people really getting boots on the ground or boots on the zoom, if you want to say that, Mm -hmm. Um, but talking to people to figure out what's actually happening in the community, how it can be made better by having a space within the community. We talked about how having events and tournaments that are tailored to specific groups where everyone might be welcome, but you show appreciation for a specific group can be a good way to bring in people who might not be traditionally reached quite as much. Uh, when it comes to the metaverse, we talked about how the tech will play a part in metaverse experiences and how bringing people together to bond over that tech is one of the, the best ways you can kind of incorporate both real life experience with the metaverse and virtual worlds. Um, kind of building a social club or just like bringing together like-minded people who want to go about having these experiences, talking and learning about future tech together and creating a space for that. We talked about esports betting quite a bit. Um, it's getting worked in as more legalization for sports betting is coming in. People want to be able to play games and even play games within games by betting on those games um, while they're enjoying other forms of entertainment. The last thing that I thought was really great was you mentioned how gaming is not an old old boys club anymore. I think I think that there's still that perception and for somewhat good reason. But as you pointed out, there's a lot of room for innovation and growth and there's a lot of room for different voices within the space. And there's a lot of negative news around that lately. So I think it's good to point out that there's plenty of dark areas within gaming. <laughs> there's also several light and open areas that people can get into. 
So for our last little segment here, I like to do this with every guest. Um, I call it a moment of reflection. It's just a time for you to think back on where you're at in your career. Um, and I would love to ask you, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming and tech industry and being successful? I think I would tell myself to kind of dive in headfirst. Um, I think this is very much a high risk, high reward um, industry, a great area for that. and. Also, I feel like um, I, as well as so many other people, could see something new pop up and say, oh, well, that's never going to take off. Well, guess what? A lot of it has taken <laughs> off. Um, and so I have definitely come to realize and be like, no, even if I don't understand it, someone, you're definitely smarter than me. Someone's figured it out. Um, so lean into things. I like that. Take the risk. Jump in. Mm-hmm. Well, Paige, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find and follow you if you would like to have people find and follow you? Of course. Um, so you can obviously look me up if you want to be real professional on LinkedIn. Um, my last name is spelled R-A-B-A-T-I-N. Um, a good way as well would be to reach out to my Twitter, which is it bad that I didn't remember my own Twitter handle. It's <laughs> P-M as in McKenzie, R as in Rabatin, and then E-S-Q. Um, or let's be honest, if you want to have a direct chat right now, reach out to me via email at P-M-R at KJK.com. Ooh, I love that. Very bold. For all of our listeners out there, be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Tell a friend about the podcast. You all know the bit. Be sure to check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business, for all the metaverse finance stories you could ever want, Business of Esports for interviews with industry leaders. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss, and you can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports live after show. You can catch this podcast in your feed every Tuesday. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.